It's Amy's Table, a girl's guide to living with Amy Tobin on Q102. Pull up a chair and join us. Is becoming debt-free a goal for you this year? Well, guess what? There's a right way and a wrong way to pay off debt. And certified financial planner Rebecca Walzer is the author of a new book, Wealth Unbroken. And she's joining me today on Amy's Table to talk about the worst ways to pay off debt. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you, Amy. Glad to be here. So it seems to me that any payment is a good payment, right? If you're paying down debt? It's true. I mean, obviously, we want to pay, make a payment versus not making a payment. But I think more we have to be strategic about how we are making those payments. And so how do we start? Let, let's look at an average family. And what is an average family that's carrying some debt? Is there some kind of uh, representative sample you can create for us for this? Well, I you have read some studies, you know, for the beginning of 2018 of how much Americans actually rack up. And it's about right under $1,500 on average. And it, this exist study said that they pay it off within three months, which I have a, far, have a hard time believing. But, I mean, who knows? Maybe that's true. I, I, it just seems like really aggressive to me. That would be $500 a month if, you're, if you, you know, racked up $1,500. Right. So I think that's a little aggressive. But, you know, I, I'd say your uh, average American family would be um, two parents and two kids. You know, that's kind of plain vanilla. That's not the whole of America, but obviously right. kind of just what we look at. And that was really kind of what they were saying. But, you know, Amy, the thing is, is that a lot of people start with their highest balance. And they say, oh, my gosh, this balance is the highest. I need to attack this. And really, we like to look at the highest interest rate and attack that card first because that's really where you're losing money is by paying interest to somebody else. That makes complete sense. So this is something easy for somebody to find out. You can just look at your statement and it'll tell you the interest rate. But there's usually a couple different numbers, right? One of them's like APR and the other. What are, There's a little discrepancy in what it says you're paying and what you're actually paying. Yeah, you know, it's so funny you mentioned this, Amy, because they actually changed the law a couple years back where it was so confusing for people to understand their credit card statements that they actually had to disclose to you by law now that if you make the minimum payment, how many years it would actually take you to pay off if you didn't charge anything else, if you just had that balance and made the minimum payment. And it is some outrageous amount of years. So that is helpful. But basically, if you want to do an apples to apples, you can either look at the interest rate or the APR, but pick the same number to look at on every single statement. So if you're going to look at APR, look at APR on all statements. If you're going to look at interest rate, look at interest rate on all statements. I would encourage everyone to look at the APR because that's the actual compounded interest rate that we're effectively paying. And it is different than the interest rate. Okay. And, and, you know, after you talk us through some of these strategies, that's something to talk about too, is how to avoid even getting there in the first place where you're paying something that's going to take you 15 years at a ridiculous rate to pay off. Um, Right. But okay. So that makes sense. But let's just, say that that highest interest rate credit card has, well, it has 1200 of their $1,500 in debt on it. They shouldn't pay off that other smaller one first? No, I mean, we really are, we really have to look at the interest rate and attack the highest rate card first, regardless of what the balance is. People think that, oh, I'll get rid of this one, but really it's going to take them longer if they attack the smaller uh, interest rate card because money is money and it is universally going to be costing us more, even if we can get a card out of the way. A lot of people too, I mean, what they do is they will look to uh, do kind of a unique situation where they'll open a new card at the beginning of the year 
there with that 0% introductory rate. A lot of credit card companies really go after new business every year by offering these introductory rates so that people will transfer their holiday balances and then have an, have an account with that, you know, that new company. Mm-hmm. But what you have to look at is how many months is that introductory rate good for? Because if you can't, you know, transfer your balance and then really attack it and pay it off in that introductory period, then you're going to be stuck with your new balance on that new card. And what is the real rate after the introductory offer is over? So you might actually be further behind by transferring to a zero balance. But let me ask you a question, Rebecca, if they transfer it to a zero balance and they really do pay it off, they have the, the you know, um, frequency and diligence to pay off before that interest rate goes away, that 0% goes away. Is it sometimes sensible? Yes, it is. And, I, and I, it does make a lot of sense because obviously you're, you're obviously have paid off a higher rate card with a 0% and you've actually attacked the debt and gotten it done. So that makes a lot of sense. But one thing we also see when people do enter, you know, get a new card and transfer it to a zero rate is they'll close the old card. And this might be a mistake from a credit score perspective because sometimes that's the card you've had for five or ten years that has a good payment history. And when you go and close that and then start a brand new card, that actually lowers your credit history on your credit profile. And so we'd like you to, if you have the wherewithal to do it, maintain the card as open and just not charge both. You don't want to increase your credit line by using that card now and the new card. That would obviously go in the wrong direction. But closing out an account that's got your longest payment history is also a bad thing for your credit score. And that is really some good advice, because I think you're right. A lot of people's instinct is, okay, I paid it off and I closed the account. Phew, but that can harm you. How about having too many credit cards, even if you don't have balances on them? Can that harm your credit rating? Yes, absolutely. Every time, it's built into all three bureaus. Every time you apply for new credit, even if you have existing credit that's unused, Basically, what the credit card companies are saying is this person has not does not have enough credit. They're seeking for more credit. And so that could be indica- indicative of some kind of financial stress. Maybe you anticipate a really large expense coming up. You don't have enough credit with all of the available credit cards you have. So you're looking for more credit. And that is usually interpreted negatively by all three bureaus. Okay, that's good to know. If you're just joining us, we're talking to tax attorney and certified financial planner, Rebecca Walzer. And Rebecca has just written a book, Wealth Unbroken. And we're talking about the worst ways to pay off debt and what to do instead. So, okay, we're attacking the highest interest rate first. And then what? How do we further prioritize our payments? What you really have to do, Amy, is you have to come up with a budget. And I, I find one of the biggest problems with with us in America is that people do not know how much discretionary spending they're actually spending. They don't almost want to look at it. So you really need to come down with a budget. You know, figure out what your total income is after taxes, and then what are you spending on house, you know, house expense, transportation expenses, insurance expenses, and then what is left over daycare expenses, childcare expenses, what is left over and how much are you actually spending on savings versus discretionary, going out to eat, going to the movies, going shopping, all of these things that are discretionary lifestyle spending things. And figure out how much available you have after all of that to pay towards the debt. 
Now, let's say you, at the end of the day, you only have $100 left to pay towards your debt. Well, if you racked up $1,500 of holiday spending and you're only going to have $100 left to pay for it, you know right there it's going to take you all the way until next March to really get rid of your holiday debt from this, you know, 2017. That's not really good. So then what we do is we start to say, what can we cut on the discretionary spending side to make the debt payment a little more aggressive? And that makes complete sense. And knowledge is power. And you are so right. I think if there's one thing people kind of, you know, turn their head and go, I don't even want to think about it. It's what their real financial standpoint is. Well, here's a question for you. So they're trying to pay off last year's Christmas by next year's Christmas, but Christmas (laughs) comes again. Christmas keeps coming. Is there any way while you're paying off your debt to save at the same time? Or should you never save until you're debt free? No, you definitely should save. In fact, what I like to do with people, and this is this is so not the American way now. I mean, let me tell you, we have become an instant gratification society. Everything instantaneously with our cell phones, with, you know, I can pre-order my coffee on my cell phone app and get, you know, have it when I pull through the drive-thru. And then I can have a webinar meeting with a client across the country in my car on my cell phone. I mean, everything yeah. is now, now, now. So we are so used to that, that the concept of saving and, and putting aside, but everybody needs to look at every dollar we make and really understand that it's paying two people. It's paying your current self and it's paying your future self. And therefore, when you're paying your current self and your future self, one day, if you really don't divide that dollar for your future self, one day when you get to become your future self, you're going to look back at your younger self and you're going to be so upset and so angry and say, you really screwed me over. Yes. <laughs> put it, I can say it, you know. So what we have to do is we have to understand that saving for our future has to be a part of our basic budget. And it just has to be that the case. If you don't do it, you're going to get find yourself in a situation in retirement. You're going to be so upset that you live this grand lifestyle your whole life. And then when you retired and we're no longer making any money, all you're on is Social Security and your lifestyle will go down, you know, enormously. So you must put savings as part of your average everyday lifestyle spending. Well, and you know, if we look at Christmas as sort of has turned into our example in this one, and it is coming every year, it is coming, you are going to spend money. And so if you can create some kind of a little Christmas fund, if you have kids, their college is coming, it is coming. And you know, it's a lot easier to pay for it bite by bite now. So are there ways that you suggest that you can really automate some of these things? Are there any apps? I mean, I know there's that Digit app. Have you heard about oh, that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I have. Yeah, there's a lot of new technology. Even your own, even, you know, I think these apps are great, but, you know, your own bank account, your own bank will actually transfer money from a checking account to a savings account on an automated basis that you can go in and say. So I think it's great. These apps are great, um, but certainly even your own bank has the technology to say, yeah, let me move X amount over on an automated basis every single month and build that account. So there's a lot of ways that you can make it automated and not really even steal it. A lot of people rely you know, on the 401k through their jobs as their retirement. But that's what I talk about really in Wealth Unbroken is that the problems that we have with the conventional way we've built wealth, it's really failing us in a lot of ways. And I build the case as a lawyer that um, why it's a problem and, and what you can do about it. Well, I'll tell you what, one of the things you can do about it is become informed and knowledgeable and doing things like reading Rebecca's book, Wealth Unbroken, will help you 
Help yourself. That future self, I love how you put it. Your future self is coming. Make it happy. Yes. Make yourself happy. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's yeah. Right. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much. This is some great information. Come on, everybody. Let's get debt-free. Let's do it right. Let's pay it off properly. You can find more about Rebecca at walzerwealth.com. That's W-A-L-S-E-R, wealth.com. Rebecca, thanks so much for joining me today on Amy's Table. Oh, it was a pleasure, Amy. Thank you. Stick around for another helping from Amy's Table on Q102. Q! It's Amy's Table with Amy Tolman. Yeah. Q102.